Chapter Eight of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Del de Pinaroles. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter Eight: The Muleteer. Beginning with a quote. Are ye resigned that they be spent? In such world's help, the spirits bent their awful brows and said, Content. Content, it sounded like amen, said by a choir of mourning men, an affirmation full of pain. And patient, I of glorying, an adoration as a king, might seal his oath for governing. E. B. Browning. When Carlos stood once more face to face with his sorrow, as he did as soon as he had closed the door, he found that it had somewhat changed its aspect. A trouble often does this when some interruption from the outer world makes us part company with it for a little while. We find on our return that it has developed quite a new phase, and seldom a more hopeful one. It now entered the mind of Carlos, for the first time, that he had been acting very basely towards his brother. Not only had he planned and intended a treason, but by endeavouring to engage the affections of Doña Beatrice, he had actually committed one. Heaven grant it might not prove irreparable. Though the time that had passed since his better self gained the victory was only measured by hours, it represented to him a much longer period. Already it enabled him to look upon what had gone before from the vantage ground that some degree of distance gives. He now beheld in true, perhaps even in exaggerated colors, the meanness and treachery of his conduct. He, who prided himself upon the nobility of his nature matching that of his birth, he, Don Carlos Alvarez de Santanillos de Menaya, the gentleman of stainless manners, of reputation untarnished by a single blot, he, who had never yet been ashamed of anything, in his solitude he blushed and covered his face in shame, as the villainy he had planned rose up before his mind. It would have broken his heart to be scorned by any man, and was it not worse a thousandfold to be thus scorned by himself? He thought even more of the meanness of his plan than of its treachery, of its sin that he did not think at all. Sin was a theological term which he had been wont to handle in the schools, and to toss to and fro with the other materials upon which he showed off his dialectic skill, but it no more occurred to him to take it out of the scholastic world and to bring it into that in which he really lived and acted, then it did to talk Latin to Diego, or softly whisper quotations from Thomas Aquinas into the ear of Donna Beatrice between the pauses of the dance. Scarcely any consideration, however, could have made him more miserable than he was. Past and future, all alike seemed dreary. Not a happy memory, not a cheering anticipation could he find to comfort him. He was as one who goes forth to face the driving storm of a wintering night, not strong in hope and courage a warm hearth behind him, and before him the pleasant starry glimmer that tells of another so soon to be reached. But chilled, weary, forlorn, the wind whistling through thin garments, and nothing to meet his eye but the bare, bleak, shelterless moor stretching far out into the distance. He sat long, too crushed in heart even to finish his slight and important task. Sometimes he drew toward him the sheet of figures, and for a moment or two tried to fix his attention upon it but soon he would push it away again or make aimless dots and circles on its margin. While thus engaged, he heard a cheery and not unmelodious voice chanting a fragment of song in some foreign tongue. 
listening more attentively, he believed the words were French, and supposed the singer must be his humble guest, the muleteer, on his way to the stable to take a last look at the beloved companions of his toils before he lay down to rest. The man had probably exercised his vocation at some former period in the passes of the Pyrenees, and had thus acquired some knowledge of French. Half an hour's talk with any one seemed to Carlos at that moment a most desirable diversion from the gloom of his own thoughts. He might converse with the stranger when he dared not summon to his presence Diego or Dolores, because they knew and loved him well enough to discover in two minutes that something was seriously wrong with him. He waited until he heard the voice once more close beneath his window. Then, softly opening it, he called the muleteer. Juliano responded with ready alertness, and Carlos, going round to the door, admitted him and led him into his sanctum. "'I believe,' he said, "'that was a French song I heard you sing. "'You have been in France, then?' "'I, Signor, I have crossed the Pyrenees more than once. "'I have also been in Switzerland.' "'You must, then, have visited many places worthy of note, "'and not with your eyes shut, I think. "'I wish you would tell me, for pastime, the story of your travels.' "'Willingly, Signor,' said the muleteer, who, though perfectly respectful, had an ease and independence of manner that made Carlos suspect it was not the first time he had conversed with his superiors. Where shall I begin? Have you ever crossed the Santillanos or visited the Asturias? No, senor. A man cannot be everywhere. He that rings the bells does not walk in the procession. I am only master of the route from Lyons to here. Knowing a little also, as I have said, of Switzerland. Tell me first of lions, then, and be seated, my friend. The muleteer sat down and began his story, telling of the places he had seen with an intelligence that more and more engaged the attention of Carlos, who failed not to draw out his information by many pertinent questions. As they conversed, each observed the other with gradually increasing interest. Carlos admired the muleteer's courage and energy in the prosecution of his calling and enjoyed his quaint and shrewd observations. Moreover, he was struck by certain indications of a degree of education and even of refinement not usual in his class. Especially he noticed the small, finely formed hand, which was sometimes in the worth of conversation laid on the table, and which looked as if it had been accustomed to wield some implement far more delicate than a riding whip. Another thing he took note of, Though Juliano's language abounded in proverbs, in provincialisms, in quaint and racy expressions, not a single oath escaped his lips. I never saw an arario before, thought Carlos, who could get through two sentences without half a dozen of them. Juliano, on the other hand, was observing his host, and with a far shrewder and deeper insight than Carlos could have imagined. During supper he had gathered from the servants that their young master was kind-hearted, gentle, and easy-tempered and had never injured anyone in his life, and knowing all this, he was touched with genuine sympathy for the young noble, whose haggard face and sorrowful looks told but too plainly that some great grief was pressing on his heart. "'Your Excellency must be weary of my stories,' he said at length. "'It is time I left you to your repose.' And so, indeed, it was, for the hour was late. "'Here you go,' said Carlos kindly. "'You shall drink a cup of wine with me.' He had no wine at hand but the costly beverage Dolores had produced for his own especial use. Wondering a little what Juliana would think of such a luxurious beverage, he sought a second cup, for the proud Castilian gentleman was too finely courteous not to drink with his guest, 
although that guest was only a muleteer. Juliano, evidently a temperate man, remonstrated, but I have already tasted your excellency's hospitality. That should not hinder your drinking to my good health, said Carlos, producing a small hunting cup, forgotten until now from the pocket of his doublet. Then, filling the larger cup, he handed it to Juliano. It was a very little thing, a trifling act of kindness. But to the last hour of his life, Carlos Alvarez thanked God that he had put it into his heart to offer that cup of wine. The muleteer raised it to his lips, saying earnestly, God grant you health and happiness, noble senor. Carlos drank also, glad to relieve a painful feeling of exhaustion. As he set down the cup, a sudden impulse prompted him to say, with a bitter smile, Happiness is not likely to come my way at present. Nay, senor, and wherefore not? With your good leave, be it spoken, you are young, noble, amiable, with much learning and excellent parts, as they tell me. All these things may not prevent a man being very miserable, said Carlos frankly. God comfort you, senor. Thanks for the good wish, said Carlos, rather lightly, and conscious of already having said too much. All men have their troubles, I suppose, but most men contrive to live through them. So shall I, no doubt. But God can comfort you, Juliana repeated with a kind of wistful earnestness. Carlos, surprised at his manner, looked at him dreamily, but with some curiosity. Signor, said Juliano, leaning forward and speaking in a low tone full of meaning, let your worship excuse a plain man's plain question. Signor, do you know God? Carlos started visibly. Was the man mad? Certainly not, as all his previous conversation bore witness. He was evidently a very clever, half-educated man, who spoke with just the simplicity and unconsciousness of an intelligent child. And now he had asked a true child's question, one which it would exhaust a wise man's wisdom to answer. Thoroughly perplexed, Carlos at last determined to take it in its easiest sense. He said, Yes, I have studied theology and taken out my licentiate's degree at the University of Alcala. If it please your worship, what may that fine word theology mean? You have said so many wise things that I marvel you know not science about God. Then, senor, your excellency knows about God. But is it not another thing to know God? I know much about the Emperor Carlos now at San Eusté. I could tell you the story of all his campaigns. But I never saw him, still less spoke with him. And far indeed am I from knowing him to be my friend, and so trusting him that if my mules died, or the alguazils seized me at Cordova for bringing over something contraband, or other mishap befell me, I should go or send to him, certain that he would help and save me. I began to understand you, said Carlos, and a suspicion crossed his mind that the muleteer was a friar in disguise. But that could scarcely be, since his abundant black hair showed no marks of the tonsure. After the manner you speak of, only great saints know God. Indeed, senor, can that be true? For I have heard that our Lord Christ, at the mention of the name Carlos crossed himself, a ceremony which the muleteer was so engrossed by his argument as to forget, that our Lord Christ came into the world to make men know the Father, and that, to all who believe on him, he truly reveals him. Where did you get this strange learning? It is simple learning, and yet very blessed, senor, returned Juliano, evading the question. For those who know God are happy. Whatever sorrows they have without, within they are joy and peace. You are advising me to seek peace in religion? 
It was singular, certainly, that a muleteer should advise him, but then this was a very uncommon muleteer. And so I ought, he added, since I am destined for the church. No, senor, not to seek peace in religion, but to seek peace from God, and in Christ who reveals him. It is only the words that differ, the things are the same. Again I say, with all submission to your excellency, not so. It is Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ, God and man, who alone can give the peace and happiness for which the heart aches. Are we oppressed with sin? He says, thy sins are forgiven thee. Are we hungry? He is bread. Thirsty? He is living water. Weary? He says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, who or what are you? You are quoting the Holy Scriptures to me. Do you then read Latin? No, senor, said the muleteer humbly, casting his eyes down to the ground. No, no, senor, in the very truth. But, well, go on. Juliano looked up again, a steady light in his eyes. Will you promise, on the faith of a gentleman, not to betray me? he asked. Most assuredly I will not betray you. I trust you, senor. I do not believe it would be possible for you to betray one who trusted you. Carlos winced, and rather shrank from the muleteer's look of hearty, honest confidence. Though I cannot guess your reason for such precautions, he said, I am willing, if you wish it, to swear secrecy upon the holy crucifix. It needs not, senor. Your word of honor is as much as your oath. Though I am putting my life in your hands when I tell you that I have dared to read the words of my Lord Christ in my own tongue. Are you then a heretic? Carlos exclaimed, recoiling involuntarily, as one who suddenly sees the plague spot on the forehead of a friend, whose hand he has been grasping. That depends upon your notion of a heretic, senor. Many a better man than I has been branded with the name. Even the great preacher Don Fray Constantino, whom all the fine lords and ladies in Seville flock to hear, has often been called heretic by his enemies. I have resided in Seville and attended Fray Constantino's theological lectures, said Carlos. Then your worship knows there is not a better Christian in all of Spain. And yet men say that he narrowly escaped a prosecution for heresy. But enough of what men say. Let us hear what God says for once. His words cannot lead us astray. No, not the Holy Scriptures, properly expounded by learned and orthodox doctors. But heretics put their own construction upon the sacred text, which, moreover, they corrupt and interpolate. Senor, you are a scholar. You can consult the original, and judge for yourself how far that charge is true. But I do not want to read heretic writings. Nor I, senor. Yet I confess that I have read the words of my Saviour in my own tongue, which some misinformed or ignorant persons call heresy, and through them, to my soul's joy, I have learned to know him in the Father. I am bold enough to wish the same knowledge yours, senor, that the same joy may be yours also. The poor man's eye kindled, and his features, otherwise homely enough, glowed with an enthusiasm that lent them true spiritual beauty. Carlos was not unmoved. After a moment's pause, he said, If I could procure what you style God's word in my own tongue, I do not say that I would refuse to read it. Should I discover any heretical mistranslation or interpolation, I could blot out the passage, or, if necessary, burn the book. I can place in your hands this very hour the New Testament of our Saviour Christ, lately translated into Castilian by Juan Perez, a learned man, well acquainted with the Greek. What? Have you got it with you? In God's name bring it then, and at least I will look at it. 
Be it truly in God's name, Señor," said Juliano, as he left the room. During his absence, Carlos pondered upon this singular adventure. Throughout his lengthened conversation with him, he had discerned no marks of heresy in the muleteer, except his possession of the Spanish New Testament. And being very proud of his dialectic acuteness, he thought he certainly should have discovered such had they existed. He had need to be a clever heretic that would circumvent me, he said, with the vanity of a young and successful scholar. Moreover, his ten months' attendance on the lectures of Fray Constantino had, unconsciously to himself, somewhat imbued his mind with liberal ideas. He could have read the Vulgate at Alcala if he had cared to do so, only he never had. Where then could be the harm of glancing, out of mere curiosity, at a Spanish translation from the same original? He regarded the New Testament in the light of some very dangerous, though effective, weapon of the explosive kind, likely to overwhelm with terrible destruction the careless or ignorant meddler with its intricacies, and therefore wisely forbidden by the authorities. Though in able and scientific hands, such as his own, it might be harmless and even useful. But it was a very different matter for the poor man who brought it to him. Was he, after all, a madman? Or was he a heretic? Or was he a great saint or holy hermit in disguise? But whatever his spiritual peril might or might not be, it was only too evident that he was incurring temporal dangers of a very awful kind, and perhaps he was doing so in the simplicity of ignorance. Carlos could not do less than warn him of them. He soon returned, and, drawing a small brown volume from beneath his leathern jerkin, handed it to the young nobleman. "'My friend,' said Carlos kindly, as he took it from him, "'do you know that you dare by offering this to me, or even keeping it to yourself?' "'I know it well, senor,' was the calm reply, and the muleteer's dark eye met his undauntedly. "'You are playing a dangerous game.' This time you are safe, but take care. You may try it once too often. I shall not, senor. I shall witness for my lord just so often as he permits. When he has no more need of me, he will call me home. God help you. I fear you are throwing yourself into the fire. And for what? For the joy of bringing food to the perishing, water to the thirsty, light to those that sit in darkness, rest to the weary and heavy laden. Senor, I have counted the cost, and I shall pay the price right willingly. After a moment's silence, he continued, I leave within your hands the treasure brought at such cost, but God alone, by his divine spirit, can reveal to you its true worth. Senor, seek that spirit. Nay, be not offended. You are very noble and very learned, and it is a poor and ignorant man who speaks to you. But that poor man is risking his life for your soul's salvation, and thus he proves, at least, how true his desire to see you one day at the right hand of Christ, his king and master. Adios, senor. He bowed low, and before Carlos had sufficiently recovered from his astonishment to say a word in answer, he had left the room and closed the door behind him. Strange being, thought Carlos. But I shall talk with him again tomorrow. And ere he was aware, his eyelids were wet for the courage and self-sacrifice of the poor muleteer had stirred some answering chord of emotion in his own heart. Probably, in spite of all appearances to the contrary, he was a madman, or else he was a heretical fanatic. But he was a man willing to brave numberless suffering, of which a death of torture was the last and least, to bring his fellow men something which he imagined would make them happy. 
"The Church has no more orthodox son than I," said Don Carlos Alvarez, "but I shall read his book for all that." Then, the hour being late, he retired to rest and slept soundly. He did not rise exactly with the sun, and when he came forth from his chamber breakfast was already in preparation. "'Where is the muleteer, who was here last night?' he asked Dolores. "'He was up and away at sunrise,' she answered. "'Fortunately, it is my, my custom to stop in bed and see the sunshine, so I just caught him loading his mules, and gave him a piece of bread and cheese and a draught of wine. "'A smart little man he is, and one who knows his business.' "'I wish I had seen him ere he left,' said Carlos aloud. "'Shall I ever look upon his face again?' he added mentally. Carlos Alvarez saw that face again, not by the ray of sun or moon, nor yet by the gleam of the student's lamp, but clear and distinct in a lurid, awful light more terrible than Egyptian darkness, yet fraught with strange blessing, since it showed the way to the city of God, where the sun no more goes down, neither does the moon withdraw herself. Juliano El Chico, otherwise Julian Hernandez, is no fancy sketch, no character of fiction. It is a matter of history that, cunningly stowed away in his alforjas, among the ribbons, lace, and other trifles that formed their ostensible freight, there was a large supply of Spanish New Testament, of the translations of Juan Perez, and that, in spite of all the difficulties and dangers of his self-imposed task, he succeeded in conveying his precious charge safely to Seville. Our cheeks grow pale, our hearts shudder, at the thought of what he and others dared, that they might bring to the lips of their countrymen that living water which was truly the blood of the men that went for it in jeopardy of their lives. More than jeopardy. Not alone did Juliana brave danger, he encountered certain death. Sooner or later, it was impossible that he should not fall into the pitiless grasp of that hideous engine of royal and priestly tyranny called the Holy Inquisition. We have no words in which to praise such heroism as his. We leave that, and we may be content to leave it, to him whose lips shall one day pronounce the sublime award. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. But in this view of such things done and suffered for his name's sake, there is another thought that presses on the mind. How real and great, nay, how unutterably precious, must be that treasure which men were found willing, at such cost, not only to secure for themselves, but also to impart to others. End of chapter 8 Recording by Adelda Pignerole.